0: Welcome to the John Brown University Chapel podcast, recorded in the historic Cathedral of the Ozarks in Salem Springs, Arkansas. This week's speaker in chapel was Megan Foley. Megan joined Compassion International in 2019 with the desire to release individuals from extreme poverty. Megan received her MBA from the University of Chicago and an MA in Theology from Fuller Theological Seminary. Megan's visit is sponsored by Compassion International.
1: What's up, JBU? How's it going? All right, that was all right, that was all right. All right, by show of hands, in the cathedral here at least, how many of you have a bucket list? Any of you? All right, a few. What's on your bucket list? Somebody shout something out. Skydiving, I like it. All right, usually the first thing I get is travel. Anybody wanna travel? Got some, yes, okay, yeah, a lot of travel, awesome. Well, I made a bucket list myself as a sophomore in high school, and one of the things I put on it was go on a mission trip, and this was funny because at the time I was not even a Christian. Um, But fast forward 10 years and a lot of life change, and I find myself at a church where the pastor knows me and he knows I love to travel, and he invites me to fill one last seat on a mission trip to Haiti. And you know what my first thought was? Sweet, I get to check that item off my bucket list. Purest of motivations for going on a mission trip. Yep. I was raised in a wealthy family, wealthy enough that my parents shielded me from understanding how wealthy we truly were. So when I went into this mission trip, I went in skeptical. I did not trust the organization we were traveling with, what they told me that they did in the field, or what they wanted from me. But that trip was the first time that I witnessed extreme poverty firsthand. And honestly, it was probably the first time I witnessed any kind of poverty firsthand. So you can imagine the culture shock it triggered in my life. And I had no idea, but that trip was going to change the trajectory of my entire life. I've since been back to Haiti twice. Um, I've visited an orphanage in the Philippines. I completed a master's program uh, that allowed me to study poverty alleviation and international development. And I've now worked for Compassion International, that same organization that we traveled to Haiti with that I was so skeptical of for the last two years after volunteering for them for five years. So no surprise, I'm here today to talk about poverty and not just any kind of poverty, but extreme poverty, the most degrading kind of poverty that threatens the daily survival of those experiencing it. We're talking about 9% of the world population that lives on less than a dollar a day. $1.90 $1.90 a day, according to The Who. That's about 750 million people. And if you're familiar with Compassion, you probably know we are a child sponsorship organization, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. And I wanna tell you up front, I am absolutely going to give you the opportunity to change a child's life by releasing them from poverty through sponsorship. But hear me when I say, My ultimate purpose for being here is to convince each and every one of you that you can make a difference in the fight to end extreme poverty globally. My prayer is that this message sticks with you for a long time and that you will make it a priority to care for the poor for the rest of your lifetime. How does that sound? All right, cool. All right, let's jump in. I want to start by telling you, I'm going to read to you a story and I want to use this story to show how different aspects of poverty interact with one another in a highly complex manner. Desperation from hunger or physical poverty can lead a child to skip school, leading to mental poverty, which can lead to their exploitation or abuse, socio political poverty. And as you can imagine, that cycle continues. This complexity creates a web or a trap that results in hopelessness, keeping people stuck in poverty. So imagine with me for a moment, we're in Kenya, and let me introduce you to a little boy. Let's call him Owen. Owen is growing up in a Kenyan slum called Kibera, just outside of Nairobi. He and his mom live in a one-room shanty, and on any given day, if his mom finds work, Owen finds joy in having a meal that evening, his one meal of the day. Recently, Owen's mom tried to buy and resell milk from a dairy farm, but her customers often didn't have money on hand. Buying on credit, they eventually collapsed his mom's business. Sometimes his mom can warn him it'll be a few days without food, in which case Owen attempts to fend for himself. One strategy he uses is to simply knock on people's doors, relatives or just neighbors. Owen spends a lot of time just knocking on doors, hoping someone will let him in and let him stay until they serve food. They all know what he's there for, and often they won't let him in. And other times they let him in, but they humiliate him. They tell him they know what he came for, food, because there's nothing else he can do. They say even harder things like you are worthless or you will never amount to anything because they know no one else in his family has. They feel like it's okay to disrespect him and belittle him because he has no possible defense. No matter what people say though, Owen always chooses to stay and take it because he doesn't want to leave with those burning hunger pains inside of him. Owen's just six years old, and recently his door-knocking got him nowhere, and he felt a desperation to put something in his stomach. As he often does, Owen went to the big trash dump nearby, where the rich folks across the way dump their trash. He found a bottle with something sweet inside of it. Not having ever attended school, he couldn't read the bottle, but was delighted to drink that sweet drink down. He found out shortly later, it turned out to be expired medicine that had gone bad and he was allergic to it. His lips have been swollen for two months, his stomach torn apart, and yet the most painful part of this experience for him is the shame and guilt he feels going back home to his mom. They have no ability to pay for any kind of health care. So his mom tells him every night to just sleep it off. You'll feel better in the morning. He once climbed a tree that he didn't know had barbed wire wrapped around it. He came home with a large open wound on his stomach. Go to bed and sleep it off. You'll feel better in the morning. Owen also at times tries to find work himself. He and his friends will walk to Nairobi. It takes about six hours to get there. If they don't have any luck, which they never do, they take a slingshot into the forest and go bird hunting. If they're lucky, they each get a small bite of food, bird meat. Those resulting hunger pangs, go to bed, Owen. You'll feel better in the morning. Sleep it off. The government is no help either. Owen knows many politicians. When elections come up, the politicians come into a slum and literally buy a vote from from whomever they can. His mom exchanges her voting card for a little bit of cash to feed Owen a meal for the day. Yet nothing ever changes and those politicians aren't seen again until the next election. Aside from corruption, Owen's community witnesses racism and nepotism in politics, particularly between the rich and the poor. In the midst of the physical pain, humiliation, and corruption that is his childhood, Owen has experienced more than his fair share of spiritual darkness and warfare as well. After so many years of oppression and material poverty, hopelessness is a constant in Owen's life. He and his community continually lose faith in themselves. This is the aspect that personally breaks my heart the most. Jayakumar Christian the CEO of World Vision India, calls it the marred identity of the poor. After a lifetime of exclusion, exploitation, suffering, and want, those living in extreme poverty no longer see themselves as created in the image of God. Children like little Owen do not believe they have any worth. He has lost the one thing that he needs, perhaps the most, hope. It's impossible to do justice to all of the various theories and factors related to poverty in a short talk, but I hope that you've at least begun to understand that poverty is highly complex. There are factors and causes of all different kinds that impact one another. And since it is a complex issue, there aren't any simple or quick fixes. If there were 750 million people would not live in utter destitution. Yes, systems that oppress the poor absolutely must be brought to justice and we must work to fix those things. But even if we fix them all, it is only the hope of Jesus that can fully liberate people spiritually and mentally. Mental and spiritual poverty distort people's self-identity and worth in a way that they lose all hope for life. It's for this very reason that poverty is a deeply spiritual challenge. As I hope I've demonstrated, a lifetime of fighting for survival leaves people people utterly hopeless. But Christ came to offer hope. And for those of us who have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, he is the source of all hope. He is the only source of true hope. Now, there are over 2,000 verses in scripture that deal with issues related to poverty and justice. If you brought your Bibles or have an app, and I'm going to throw it up here on the screen, let's look together at Luke 4, starting in verse 14. This is a passage that some describe as Jesus' mission statement at the very beginning of his ministry. So let's read. Luke 4, verses 14 to 21. And I'm reading from the NLT. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. This is the word of the Lord. The words Jesus read here are from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And this would have been a well-recognized messianic text by the folks in this synagogue. Isaiah prophesied a future spirit-empowered servant of God, a Messiah. And Jesus is here saying, it's me. He's saying, I am the Messiah. I am here to bring deliverance for Israel, to bring redemption for Israel. I am here to fulfill this word from the prophet Isaiah some 700 years after he spoke it. I don't think I fully have the words to describe how bold of a claim Jesus was making here. It would have been outrageous. And not only is it a crazy bold claim, but this is Jesus' first public statement. This is Jesus announcing his ministry. So I wanna take a closer look at this prophetic word. And while it's not rocket science, uh, I just want us to recognize today the who, the what, and the how aspects of this prophetic fulfillment. Who Jesus came for, what he came to do, and how he did it. So first, the who. This passage tells us Jesus came with a message for specific people groups. He came to speak to the poor, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. Now I would argue we are all poor, blind, captive, and oppressed in different ways and to different degrees. Poor in spirit, captive to society, oppressed by our own idols. And while I think this message is for all of us for sure, Jesus' message would have been most pertinent to those like little Owen. In Jesus' time especially, his message would have landed most powerfully with those of lower social class or status. The extremely poor, yes, but also the sick, the ceremonially unclean, the women, the slaves and servants, anyone who would have been shunned and excluded from political and and, uh, spiritual circles. Jesus came with a message for the least of these, first and foremost. When I think of the who of this passage, I think of my first sponsored child. While I went into my first mission trip skeptical, I came out Compassion's biggest fan. I immediately sponsored Wilson when I came home, and that's why I returned to Haiti two more times in the next four years. Here are two pictures of him, isn't he the cutest? He was six then when I sponsored him, and he's 13 now. One aspect I love about sponsorship is the relationship that builds over time. Through letter writing and my visits, which I know I am so privileged to have been able to take, I've learned a lot about Wilson and his family. Wilson's father went to the Dominican Republic in between my second and third trips, um, and he never came home. He went looking for work and he never returned. They don't know if that was an intentional choice or if there was an accident of some sort. They're inclined to believe it was an accident, and they'll probably never know. One of the most shocking things to me um, that I've learned in getting to know the family is that Wilson's mom is exactly my age. And that means that she had Wilson and his older brother when she was about your age, or maybe even a little younger. And she now single-handedly raises Wilson, his three siblings, and many of his cousins. I can't even tell you how many, there were a lot of them there when I visited. Um, And she does all of this in the midst of life circumstances that are unfathomable to us. On the left here is a picture of their home. It's a single room um, with a single bed inside of it that Wilson, his three siblings, and his mom all share. And on the right is their kitchen, which consists of a pot um, with a tarp over it. Shortly after I started sponsoring Wilson, I sent him a a birthday gift. And to be honest, I don't even remember sending the gift. But when you send a gift of cash for a birthday through Compassion, the local church that is the compassion center in these countries, actually works with the child and the family to identify what would be most impactful for that child and the family. So I didn't know it at the time, but they used my gift that I forget giving (laughs) to purchase a goat to make milk and cheese for the family. On the trip when I met Wilson for the first time, he went running into his house and grabbed this picture and he came back out excitedly, and he was talking to the translator in Creole. And he was telling the translator how this was, this was his birthday gift from a, a few years back. You can see the goat. He's on the left of the picture. It's, it's clearly been a picture that he's cherished for a long time. Um, and you could just see how grateful he was for that, for that goat, for that gift, um, for a picture of himself that he got because I sent a gift. He kept that picture for years, and that really impacted me. So when I think of the who of this passage, I think of little Wilson, who's not so little anymore. All right, now let's take a look at the what. What did Jesus come to do according to this passage? Again, the passage tells us to bring good news, to proclaim release, to give sight, and to provide freedom. While poverty leads to hopelessness, Jesus came to bring hope. Jesus came with a message of hope, for the marginalized in his community who desperately needed it. He came with a message of hope for the marginalized in our community, in our world, who desperately need it. But Jesus didn't just bring a feeling of hope. Jesus embodied hope. Jesus didn't just preach the coming of the kingdom, he tangibly demonstrated kingdom come. Jesus didn't just create expectations of miracles, he worked miracles. The gospel is certainly a message of evangelism for people to respond to the good news of salvation by faith. But the gospel also encompasses a call to tangible compassion for the sick and the poor. It encompasses a call to fix injustices. The gospel calls us to embody hope for others, not just preach it. Discipleship under Jesus produces tangible impact in the world, an external expression of internal growth. I'm gonna say that again. Discipleship under Jesus demands a tangible impact in the world, an external expression of internal growth. Discipleship under Jesus means we now release captives and we set the oppressed free in Jesus' name. So finally, the how. How did Jesus embody hope for the least of these? In verse 14, we see Jesus return to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And then in verse 18, at the beginning of the prophecy, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, and so on. The root of the Greek word for anoint here, implies a giving of power by God to accomplish a task. So the spirit of the Lord gave Jesus power and sent him to embody hope for the least of these. And man, that is powerful, you know why? Because once Jesus was crucified and resurrected, he sent his Holy Spirit to us. The same Spirit, the Holy Spirit that anointed and sent Jesus to set the oppressed free, to release captives and bring good news to the poor, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to us. And so now in the power of the Spirit, we are anointed. We are given that power and we are sent to set the oppressed free, release captives, and embody hope for the least of these in Jesus' name. So Jesus came because the spirit empowered him to embody hope for the least of these. And now he sent the spirit to us to do the same. So now I wanna ask you a question. How can you begin the lifetime journey of embodying hope for the least of these? On this next slide, I'm gonna throw up a bunch of different ideas. These are just starting points. Feel free to get creative. You might wanna take a picture of it so you can think and pray on it later. But I actually want you to take the next minute or so right here, right now, to read through these things, pray over what it is for you. Invite the spirit to speak to you about where you go from here. Invite the spirit to speak to you about how he has specifically anointed you to embody hope. Some of you may just need to learn more and that's a fantastic first step, I love it. Others of you might already be deeply involved with a ministry that's caring for the poor And maybe the Spirit will invite you today to take it a step deeper. So go ahead, take a minute, pray, dream, brainstorm, dream about how you can make a difference in the lives of those experiencing poverty. I'm gonna give you a minute. You can handle the silence, I promise. All right. Let's bring it back together. I wanna play a short video now. It's about three minutes long, so get comfy for a couple minutes.
0: My name is Owen Gedanga and I was born in Nairobi, Kenya. I had a dream to one day become an accountant, but I found out soon enough that that would never happen because of a family that I was born in. I was born in a family of three boys and my mom who was our sole breadwinner, and she would make about five to $10 a month. Life for me consisted of going for days without having food to eat, and no access to clean water, or even medical care. Poverty is bad. I would never wish poverty on anybody, but the absolute worst thing about poverty is the hopelessness that comes from poverty. It's when people used to look at me straight in the eyes and tell me that I was worthless. But compassion intervened when I was about eight years old. I got sponsored and my sponsor wrote me my first letter. He said the words, I love you. And that was the first time I heard those words in my life. Compassion gave me food, they gave me clean water, and every time I was sick, they took me to hospital. But the best thing about compassion is I got to hear about Jesus. And when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that was the best decision I ever made. That was the best gift that compassion ever gave to me because poverty left my life the day Christ came into my life. Compassion took me to school, and I was able to graduate high school and go on to graduate college, and I'm an accountant right now. I'm standing here today, representing what Compassion does, is I have been released from poverty in Jesus' name. About nine years ago, I got married to the love of my life, but I also had something special happen that day. My sponsor, whose name is Owen, was the best man in our wedding. And this goes on to highlight what compassion is all about. It's about reaching out to these kids and telling them they do matter. It's about a relationship with these kids who are trapped in hopelessness and giving them Jesus. I have been released from poverty in Jesus' name. And in turn, I get the opportunity to sponsor three kids through compassion, but also to help my family out of poverty in Jesus' name. The repo effect that comes from sponsoring one child through compassion is that that one child gets to go back and impact their families. That one child gets to go back and impact their communities. Sponsor a child today and help rewrite their story in Jesus' name.
1: So, you might have gathered from the video, the story I told earlier is a real one. Owen is now a grown man, but as a child, he grew up in extreme poverty in Kenya. Every illustration I used in that story were things Owen himself experienced as a child, stories he shared with me. I came back from my first mission trip with an understanding of how Compassion's child development model addresses poverty in a holistic manner. Child sponsorship doesn't just provide money so that children can eat, it provides holistic care for children to address the entire complex web of causes of poverty that I showed you earlier. Yes, these children receive meals that they would otherwise not eat, but they also receive education, medical care, protection from exploitation and abuse, and most importantly, the hope of the gospel. Compassion's program, as Owen himself said, provides sponsored children with hope. The program's administered through 8,000 local churches in the 25 countries we work in. And as I've personally prayed over how to embody hope in the lives of the poor, sponsorship for me has become a core life-changing imperative because through relationship, I have seen the impact it has had on the children I've sponsored. And because of that, I now sponsor five kids. Those are my babies. I love them. And I believe I would be remiss not to invite you into the joy that I have experienced through sponsorship. Today, you have a special opportunity to release a child from poverty in Jesus' name and embody hope for them simply by making the decision to sponsor a child yourself. When you sponsor a child like Owen or Wilson, you ensure they get the basic necessities of life, which we often take for granted, all of which we've talked about today through the local church. It's $38 a month to sponsor a child, which is just over a dollar a day. Now, let me address the elephant in the room you are college students. For many of you, finances are tight and disposable income is limited and I get that. So I recognize that what I'm asking would take commitment and sacrifice. Just before we started today, I met a student who has sponsored a child since she was eight years old. Can we just give her a round of applause? Like that is so cool. Single-handedly, yes. Single-handedly, she made the decision at eight years old to raise the money to sponsor a kid, and she's sponsored a child the same age as her, and she's been pen pals ever since. And that girl's still going, going through school with her. I think that's incredible. So what if you gave up a couple meals out every month, or five or six Frappuccinos from Starbucks? Would you be willing to make that sacrifice? There's a child just like Wilson who needs someone like you to change their world. So ask yourself, are you willing to change your life, just a little, to change a child's whole world? Now you're never gonna believe what I'm about to say, but go ahead and take out your phones right now, during chapel, if you feel led to sponsor a child today. Only if. When you scan this QR code, it will take you to one specific child waiting for a sponsor. You can click complete sponsorship. There's a button at the bottom, it's yellow. And you can fill out the form with your information. We also do have physical child packets out front. And in honor of Wilson and Owen's stories that I've shared today, we have a ton of children specifically from Kenya and Haiti. But if you're going to sponsor through this QR code, you can go ahead and do it right now as I finish up the talk. We're almost done. Um, But go ahead, scan the QR code, click the yellow button, fill out that form, and finish it up. And I just wanna offer one last word of encouragement in whatever way you're gonna step forward and embody hope as you go forward. Whatever way you do move forward in embodying hope for the least of these, I am confident and I pray that it will also bless you. I'm considered Aunt Meg to Wilson and his family and I'm considered godmother to Roxy and her family. And to me, that is the greatest honor of sponsorship. It has genuinely been such a joy to walk alongside these families. And I'm so grateful to Compassion and the local churches as I've been able to witness the impact that they're having on the world. I'm certain that those of you who choose to sponsor today will one day have unique stories of your own to share with your friends and families. And for those of you who are gonna embody hope in other ways, I pray it blesses you just as much as it transforms the lives of others. If you wanna talk about other ways um, to get engaged with compassion, I'd love to chat with you. I'll be at the booth out by the fountain after this. Um, You can shoot me an email. My information's up on the screen. Feel free to take a picture. So thank you so much for having me here today. Um, Let me send you out with this benediction. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. JBU, go in peace.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the John Brown University Chapel Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, and we'd love it if you would leave us a review.